Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. I don't know if there is an uh, ordinance violation in the books that uh, this property hasn't been cited for. So, All the key is essentially a con man. Pages upon pages of violations. I would say almost enthusiastic support for this plan. At the intersection of Page and Grant Boulevards in St. Louis, there's an historic four-story edifice once known as the ABC Auto Sales and Investment Company building. It was built in 1927, and you can still see some of the intricate original Art Deco facade and the white terracotta bands that wrapped its front. But you can also see its roof crumbling onto the sidewalk, and it's been broken into, boarded up, and broken into again. In short, 3509 Page Boulevard is an example of abandonment. And for residents of the Covenant Blue Grand Center neighborhood, the building stands as a bad first impression. You wouldn't want that in your neighborhood. My church is right there. They're very concerned. A lot of them bypass North Grand to just come to the church from the south direction. And and concerned about safety, concerned about um, health issues. I mean, you can't even walk past the building. You have to walk in the street. That was Audrey Ellerman, president of the Covenant Blue Grand Center Neighborhood Association. Residents like Audrey decided to do more than just avoid the deteriorating site to get to church. But to get action, they needed help. That's because 3509 Page is owned by the influential, and some would say infamous, Paul McKee, a St. Louis developer who bought the building in 2009 and under whose ownership that buildings come to be an eyesore and a safety hazard. That help came from Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. Attorneys there filed a lawsuit on behalf of the Covenant Blue Grand Center Neighborhood Association, and on December 28th, a St. Louis judge ordered McKee to secure 3509 Page, a ruling with implications beyond a single building or neighborhood. Here to talk about the case and those implications, we welcome Peter Hoffman. Peter is one of the attorneys who represented the Covenant Blue Grand Center Neighborhood Association in its lawsuit against Paul McKee. He's also the managing attorney for the group's Neighborhood Advocacy Program. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, Peter, you're this managing editor, as we just noted, of the Neighborhood Advocacy Program. Tell us about this program. What is it? Sure. Neighborhood Advocacy has been around since 2018. Um, So we're a relatively new program at Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. Uh, For those who aren't familiar, Legal Services of Eastern Missouri, we're a nonprofit law firm. Um, We provide access to justice for people who can't afford lawyers. Usually that takes a form of direct client representation. Uh, Neighborhood advocacy looks at those injustices at the neighborhood level. And I think if you drive through Covenant Blue Grand Center, um, Jeff Vanderloo, St. Louis Place, uh, neighborhoods really that surround the, the new NGA site, you will see that there are some profound injustices happening there. And so 
um, Covenant Blue uh, Grand Center Neighborhood Association, Ms. Ellerman and, and the board, contacted us a few years ago about one property in particular that was really uh, troubling, concerning, problematic, and that's a building at 3509 Page. So uh, myself and, and, and my colleague Jim Bax uh, sat down with the neighborhood to, to come up with ways we might be able um, to, to solve that problem for them or, or push that property back in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get any further... I would like for you to talk with us, Peter, about Paul McKee. He's not just any developer. Um, in the last 15 years or so, he's bought hundreds of properties as part of a project called Northside Regeneration. And that project has been stalled for years. And McKee's been accused of letting his vast holdings in North St. Louis, like ABC Auto Sales, uh, that building, fall into ever worse conditions. So, uh, talk with us about uh, you know how you came to sue McKee over that property that it seems he has abandoned. Right. So as you said, I actually think that at the last count, there were almost 1,700 parcels of land uh, in mainly four North City neighborhoods owned by Northside Regeneration. Um, I would say most of those are vacant lots or vacant buildings. Some of them weren't uh, when those properties were acquired. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a historian on Northside Regeneration, but, uh, you know, from what our clients tell us, uh, a little over 10 years ago, uh, uh, Northside Regeneration started acquiring property in, in those four neighborhoods. And, um, you know, despite <laughs> the neighborhood desires to have those properties saved and repurposed or even maintained, um, uh, most, if not all of them, have really deteriorated um, uh, to the point where they pose a significant public health safety threat mm-hmm. to the people who live in those communities. And and as for as much vacancy as there is, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who still live in those neighborhoods who have to walk down the street, whose kids get on buses at the end of the street. Uh, and those families are incredibly impacted by buildings that collapse or catch fire or people break into and conduct criminal activity in them. So it, all of those properties um, really pose a significant harm to the people who live in those neighborhoods. 3509 Page is in some ways uh, a really uh, important symbol of the deterioration and decline. It's, as you alluded to earlier, right on the entrance to the Grand Center uh, Covenant Blue neighborhood. It's what people see when they drive down Grand. Uh, you know, we've been said to have a tale of two cities mm-hmm. in St. Louis, and and you know, welcome to the other side is what that building says. And uh, you know, I think uh, in addition to all the public health and safety concerns, it I think it's hard to find hope uh, when owners allow buildings to deteriorate. It shows a lack of care, a lack of concern, a lack of respect for the families that still call those neighborhoods home. Mm -hmm. And I should note here that we did reach out to Paul McKee with a request for comment on the story, and we did not hear back. Now, in the time that you've done this work, you've dealt with a lot of problem properties. Was there something about the ABC auto sales building that made it different or distinct in some way? Uh, I think, well, again, I mean, just the uh, look at it. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I encourage everybody to, to look at it, to actually drive through North St. Louis City. Um, th- there are wonderful 
businesses. There are wonderful amenities. There are museums, uh, you know, well-maintained homes with beautiful flower beds. And, um, you know, so it, it, you know, I think people carry with them a certain perception of North St. Louis City. But when you're actually working there and, and in those neighborhoods or live in those neighborhoods, they are filled with such light. And so when you see a, a property as significant as this one um, that is on the National Register, that was put mm-hmm. on the National Register by the owner, by Northside Regeneration, because it has historic significance to our community. I mean, it's a, it's a, it was in its day a really beautiful building. And I think it can be an asset for the community again. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I, I hope, not just this lawsuit, but other lawsuits that neighborhoods can bring to, to get these properties really put back into productive use. Mm-hmm. It's not as much about punishing anybody, any particular owner, but there needs to be some progress here. And these buildings um, can really um, serve to help spur revitalization. They can serve community needs, but they can't if they're just being held for land speculation. And there's so much land speculation happening around the NGA site um, that that really, you know, uh, if anybody's uh, read more about this, the city had cited this particular owner for this property for decades. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, there are some limitations to uh, the city's code enforcement um, system. And, and so in some ways, these private legal actions by neighborhoods really help supplement the city's code enforcement when things um aren't being improved. And so the, the goal has always been, how do we get this property improved and back to productive use for the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the citations. If the citations and you know fines are being paid uh, and nothing is happening, I mean, is this really what drove the lawsuit, what made it necessary? That's that's right. I mean, residents, um, you know, the, in, in the city of St. Louis, you can file a complaint um, with the Citizen Service Bureau. And that routes that complaint to the building division or to the forestry division or whichever department it is. And then the city can issue fines uh, for violations of the code. And it had been doing that pretty aggressively on this page building for a long time. But as you mentioned, if somebody's paying those fines, that's not always going to be the, the, the best vehicle for compliance. Um, in 2019, uh, 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 Senator Nasheed from St. Louis uh, um, amended this statutory nuisance law that has been on the books for, for several decades now. Mm. And that's what we filed suit under. And it basically uh, asked the court to find that the property is a nuisance and then order that an owner abate those nuisances. And for properties that are commercial or industrial in nature, there can actually be an attorney's fee provision with that. So there is some really strong leverage that neighborhoods can bring um, when, for whatever reason, city enforcement isn't getting us to the outcome that we want for that property. Mm-hmm. And what was it about the, the nuisance part? What about the the building on page makes it or qualifies it under that this category of nuisance? Well, it's the code violations. And so if you look at the complaint uh, that my, my colleague, Jim Bax, who, who des- deserves an enormous amount of credit for, for uh, uh, where we are in this case, uh, drafted the petition, and there are pages upon pages of violations. I mean, uh, you know, everything from from weeds and overgrowth and graffiti and broken windows. I mean, 
I don't know if there's a, a ordinance violation in the books that uh, yes. this property hasn't been cited for. So uh, it, it really is emblematic. Uh, I think uh, a good example of uh, of, of properties that, that we need to, to to try everything we can um, to 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 bring additional pressure to try to get these buildings back into compliance and back into you know safe productive use for those neighborhoods. Yeah. So if the city had been finding code violations with this building over the years and over and over again, were citations really the only way to to enforce? Why weren't they otherwise acting? And, and did the city fail here? I don't know if I want to say that the city has failed, but there are limited tools available to local governments. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are caps imposed by the state. There are caps imposed by the charter. Um, There are capacity issues. You know, we have the third highest amount of vacant property anywhere in the country. Um, And so, uh, and forever, we have been under-resourced. The city is still, you know, even though we have some RAMS money and we have some uh, ARPA money, you know, the city is still incredibly under-resourced. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say in the last few years, uh, this the mayor's administration has done uh, a wonderful job of increasing enforcement uh, through the building division, uh, stabilizing dangerous properties. They are trying innovative approaches to this, but it is just a huge, huge problem. And, and more resources are needed. And, and at Legal Services, we have... Uh, kind of the benefit of not having to deal with all of those problem properties. We can really just work with neighborhoods to identify the ones that are really the most problematic, where for whatever reason, code enforcement hasn't worked, and put extra resources to try to get a good outcome there. Mm -hmm. So on December 28th, the St. Louis Circuit Court Judge Michael Stelzer, he ruled in favor of your client and against Paul McKee. What does that order do, Peter? So the order, uh, it's a, both a finding and an order. So, you know, there is a, there's a judgment there basically uh, acknowledging a finding that the property does meet the statutory definition of nuisance. And uh, the uh, order is to abate those nuisances. Uh, the timeline for that, the manner for that, I think is uh, still to be determined. We are still really in the middle of this case. So we brought multiple counts in the lawsuit um, injunctive relief, which is the one that the judge ruled on in December, is just one of the counts. But if that property is not improved or, you know, donated or sold or transferred to somebody who can maintain it, um, you know, there could be other uh, counts that the the court finds in our favor. Um, they could uh, appoint a receiver to take control of that property. Um, you know, they could we've asked for something called disregarding the corporate entity. We could we could say, you know, this is not really a, a Northside regeneration property. This is a this is a Paul McKee property and mm-hmm. and, and therefore uh, you know pierce that veil or disregard that entity to go after uh, him individually. I'm not saying any of that will come to that. Mm-hmm. I mean we're again we're still in the you know early to middle stages of, of this litigation. But the finding that the property is a nuisance and the order to abate it is really encouraging for our client and for the neighborhoods. And um, we're, we're all very hopeful still um, that we don't lose the property, um, that we're able to find some way to get it into the hands of somebody who is really willing and able to do something with it. That's the goal from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. 
We need to take a quick break here, but we will be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about um, the, the lawsuit And one of the things that has been reported since the ruling was handed down um, on December 28th is that this is something new when it comes to Paul McKee. Uh, The Post-Dispatch's Jacob Barker described it as, quote, the first time the courts have stepped in to compel the city's highest profile private owner of vacant properties to fix one of his buildings. So McKee's owned the building on page for 15 years. How is this the first time he's being told to take care of it? Uh, And, you know, is that timeline for accountability in a case like this common? Uh, So, I mean, uh, I mean, what do we mean by holding him accountable? And so the city has fined him, you know, um, for all all of the properties that he owns. He's been cited for or for the ones that are in violation, I should say. They have they have cited him for those. This is the first time um, I think that a private nuisance action brought by a neighborhood association under that state law that I talked about earlier has been taken to a judgment against Northside Regeneration. Other neighborhoods have filed suit against Northside Regeneration. Some of those have settled. Um, uh, Some of them have resulted in in buildings being demolished. Um, This one is one where the building couldn't be demolished. It's on the National Register. And so Mm. that, that I think, is an added hurdle for that property owner. Uh, But the statute uh, that we filed this case under, we represent about 36 different neighborhoods in the city of St. Louis to address vacant property. Uh, We've returned more than 300 units of of formerly vacant housing to productive use by having attorneys assist neighborhoods, by, by, by bringing cases, by increasing pressure on absentee property owners. Um, And so uh, we are very excited by this ruling, of course, Um, but there are, we know there's a lot more work to do. This is one property. Um, You know, we have 12,000 vacant properties in the city of St. Louis. So uh, I I do hope that, you know, folks who, who think they can speculate on land to just sit on it and do nothing and not maintain it and cut the grass, not cut the grass, not secure it. I do hope those folks think long and hard about whether or not they want to continue to do that. I, I think we need to to draw a line in the sand and say that that's just not acceptable. Um, you know, every one of these neighborhoods that we work with, they want development, they want investment, they want neighbors and housing and grocery stores and and, and uh, to be a, the neighborhood to be a prosperous place. And we can't have that when we have buildings collapsing on school children as they walk, you right, know, to right. the corner. So, so I, you know, I, I really do think, um, you know, this is just one case, uh, you know, one decision in one case. Um, 
but the the move towards taking these issues more serious is is something that I think we're moving in the right direction mm-hmm. uh, and as a city. Yeah. Now, we had heard earlier from Audrey Ellerman, and again, she's the president of the Covenant Blue Grand Central Neighborhood Association, which sued Paul McKee over the conditions of the ABC Auto Sales Building. Ellerman talked with our producer, Danny Wisentowski, on Friday, and she said then that the ruling is a win and not just for her neighborhood. A win for one neighborhood, especially North City, is a win for all neighborhoods. And we stand together on that. We have a voice, and people are listening to those that live here. We live here. Black neighborhoods matter. That was Audrey Ellerman, president of the Covenant Blue Grand Center Neighborhood Association. So, Peter, to this point, what does this ruling mean for other neighborhoods? You've sort of you've alluded to it and sort of mentioned things, but in a sort of a, a more concise statement. <laughs> yeah, I... The neighborhoods have the power to take action into their own hands. And and I think this is an example of that. We have three branches of government, right? We have the executive branch, the legislative branch, and then the judicial branch. And I think neighborhoods know, you know, have some familiarity with how to use the executive branch or their legislative branch. You know, we we you know, we we vote for a mayor and, and, and we vote for the aldermen. But I think uh residents and people just more generally don't know that the judicial branch, that the courts can actually be used to help advance their causes and to improve their lives as well. And and so I think this is an example of, you know, neighborhoods saying, we're going to look to this third branch of government. We're going to look to the courts and and we're going to ask the courts to, to help us in, in, in improve the lives and improve our neighborhoods. And so I, I think this is... Um, a good example of that. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul McKee owns hundreds of properties, as we've talked about. Could it be that you know other neighborhoods and groups like Covenant Blue Grand Center Neighborhood Association that they might pursue similar lawsuits against him for other buildings? Without a doubt, uh, there you know any neighborhood where there there are properties that are dangerous, that they feel frustrated with, contact us. You know, go to lsem.org, send us an email, neighborhoods at lsem.org. We we want to um, help. We want to provide, you know, these tools can be very effective. Um, And and so I I do think it, it, you know, I, I think it's all but imminent that there will be additional cases unless uh, any of the property owners, you know, choose to to do better. And mm-hmm. and and I think, um, you know, they can, you know, and, and most of the time when we we bring a legal action, it it does result in an owner saying, hey, yeah, uh, you know, so you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, the property's bad. Mm-hmm. Here's my plan. I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to donate it. I'm going to sell it. Whatever. I'm going I'm to. Uh, you're right. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. That was just not the case here. Right. So, you know, a lot of this hangs on how uh, owners respond uh, to these types of legal actions. They don't they don't have to go through to a court judgment. Mm-hmm. There are other ways to, to resolve these issues. And it's always about the building and how do we get the building mm-hmm. secure and uh, back to productive use. We have Jerry on the line from O'Fallon. Jerry, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. I've lived out in Winghaven for 20 years now, and to me, Paul McKee is essentially a con man. Uh, He is always 
over-promised. Uh, often mentioned 10 years ago that Blue Haven was like 95% developed. It, it's never been. And uh, he was pulling the same stuff for more, at least a decade of, you know, having laws crafted for him by the legislature, which exempted him from certain ordinances. And uh, he just essentially has acted for a long time as if he's above the law and a power unto himself. So none of this surprises me, but I'm glad it scored at least a minor victory. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jerry. So, I mean, to what extent are you hearing stories, Peter, from other people about their experiences with Paul McKee? Well, so we attend a lot of neighborhood association meetings. Our job is to provide assistance to neighborhoods. And, uh, you know, they come to us with problems. And, you know, how can a lawyer might, you know, might be able to fix a, a particular problem? And for those three or four neighborhoods where Northside Regeneration owns most of its property, I think it's probably fair to say that he is or it is Northside is is the biggest concern mm-hmm. uh, just because of the sheer quantity of property owned, the sheer volume, whatever, of, of property owned by Northside Regeneration. It uh, makes it hard for other development to happen. Uh, you know, some people are surrounded by Northside Regeneration property. Uh, if somebody wants to purchase a property, you know, and, and redevelop a site, you know, you're going to have to deal with Northside Regeneration. So it, it really, I think, um, in some ways, it's kind of stymied development in, mm-hmm. in those neighborhoods when when you would think, you know, the NGA site is there, you would see um, an influx of investment, but there just hasn't been that. And, and, I, and I do think land speculation is a big reason why you haven't seen more investment in those, those four neighborhoods mm-hmm. that surround NGA. And we do want to mention here that we did reach out to Paul McKee for comment, and we did not hear back. Now, earlier in the conversation, Peter, you had mentioned the city, and that's another entity that is involved here. It's not merely about developers posing challenges to neighborhoods. And a concrete illustration of the city's role and its place is found in what happened uh, to the St. Louis Place neighborhood, which last year discovered um, after the fact that the city had determined that their area was blighted. Now, that understandably it sparked worries around the city taking properties um, in St. Louis Place through eminent domain. But, Peter, you helped to broker an agreement between the city and the neighborhood, and it was an agreement stating that eminent domain would not be used. How did that all come about? Well, again, it's it's neighborhoods uh, coming to lawyers to to ask for help, and uh, you know the St. Louis Place and the Jeff Vanderloo neighborhoods heard about the blight study, and and I do think there's you know we could probably do a whole episode on legal blighting and what it means and what it doesn't mm-hmm. mean, and uh, but for good reason um, because how blight has historically been used to push out communities of color, um, there was a lot of concern about uh, blighting around the NGA. Um, But those neighborhoods came together with their elected officials in partnership with the SLDC and actually drafted um, uh, what's called a Chapter 99 redevelopment plan. And we were able to help them with some of the technicalities of that. But um, that is uh, is now going before the Board of Aldermen on Tuesday of next week. Um, and what that does is it would allow the city to use eminent domain for vacant 
property for problem properties, but it would protect existing residents. And it also has some other kind of unique features. Um, it, it creates some incentives for existing residents to continue to make improvements into their home. After, after all these, you know, there would be no neighborhood left to invest in if mm -hmm. it weren't for those residents who have stayed there through thick and thin. So uh, it, it also gives neighborhoods some development review uh, oversight. So it is, um, I think it's a, a first of its kind in that neighborhoods uh, are really working with the city and driving the bus on, on their own redevelopment plan. Um, and, and I think it has people feeling optimistic. And that's what I think is really exciting. We are at a crossroads, I think, for North St. Louis City. And, and these little wins hopefully can turn into some bigger wins and help us on the path towards making these neighborhoods safe, safer, more stable, and more prosperous. Mm -hmm. And we did hear from someone who can uh, sort of attest to that from the everyday person's point of view. Virginia Druhi is president of the St. Louis Place Community Association, and she spoke with our producer, Danny Wissentowski, last week. She said that seeing the city as a partner and not an obstacle was a new feeling. Uh, with this development plan, we, we have had, um, I would say, almost enthusiastic support for this plan going through SLDC and the City Planning Commission and our alderman uh, Rasheen Aldridge have been actively supportive the whole way through which is amazing just amazing I've lived in the city for 45 years lived on this block for 45 years and it's the first time we've had uh, a positive partnership with the city that was Virginia Druhi. Again, she's the president of the St. Louis Place Community Association. First time in 45 years, that's a, that's a lot. I mean, Peter, do you agree with her? Do you think that the city is doing, uh, is doing more to help neighborhoods? And are there places where they could be doing even more? Without a doubt, um, uh, you know, on these particular, uh, the city could, all, you know, the city could always do more. It always <laughs> right. it's never going to be perfect. But, but uh, you know, the the fact that um, you know the the city has been supportive of um, that redevelopment plan, I think, is something that uh, is different than than what's happened in the past. And people are feeling very optimistic about it. And uh, you know, I'm feeling optimistic about it as well. So. Mm -hmm. And just as we finish up here, what is it that we should be looking to next? The The ruling has been issued. The order has been made. Um, how soon might we expect, can we expect, to see some changes um, at that location uh, at at uh, Page Boulevard. Yeah, I, you know, I, w I wish I could, you know, had the had a crystal ball I could give you a timeline on that. Um, you know, we have to remember that these neighborhoods have seen disinvestment for seventy years, and it's going to take some time to turn that ship around. Um, these are big systems. Uh, these are big tools that are being implemented, um, and uh, uh, but it it's not going to happen overnight. So. Uh, we don't know where the lawsuit will take us. Like I said, we're still in the middle of it. Um, we don't know if the redevelopment plan is going to be adopted or not. I think we're we're all hopeful and we're working towards making good things happen. And, and that's what gives me hope every time I come to work is, you know, I get to work with these 
these residents who love their neighborhoods and care about their neighborhoods and would do anything to make their neighborhoods a better place. And it really is a, a, an honor and a privilege to be able to fight alongside them to help make those neighborhoods better places. So uh, I, I don't know how long it will take, but that's where we're going. Peter, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.